0: Welcome back to Your Future in Finance, a podcast by AXR. Uh, my name is Callum Jones-Bray, and this week I was lucky enough to be joined by Johnny Harrison, the CFO of Liquor Marketing Group. Um, Johnny's been in that role now for around about nine months or so. Um, prior to that, he spent nine years with, with Lion um, in a number of different commercial roles. Um, prior to that, 10 years with with PwC, so really strong career to date um, with quite a mixed Bag of of experience as well between um, obviously the the PwC audit days backed up by uh, I said nine years of commercial roles with Lion and some really quite unique interesting experience there that he'd done in that uh, he he joined a lot of the uh, seed businesses that Lion put money into um, such as small brewers that sort of thing um, and and helping get them through. Um, that that growth stage and in that initial uh, sort of first couple of years of establishing themselves in the market, um, so give them a really good perspective of a mix between the the big corporate world that comes with a with a lion, um, and and also some of the smaller entities within that group, um, and some of the growing startup brands within that. Uh, it's a really good mixed mixed experience um, before moving nine months ago, as I said, into the CFO role of of liquor like marketing group. So. The, then a large co-op of about fourteen hundred bottle shops. So the almost the next step after as, as being one of Lion's biggest customers, who are then in the in the retail space, and and how that changed, and and obviously moving into a a different type of organization. So he had some great insights of of what he thinks the future of finance looks like, and uh, some top tips. So uh, yeah, please enjoy. Kick it off then, Johnny, you know, in terms of uh, the overview, of your world, the, the big picture. I mean, just want to through who you are, a bit of your career, and, and how uh, you got to where you got to.
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks, mate. So, who am I? Good question. <laughs> um, so, I, it's funny, I would have sat here even five, ten years ago and started talking about who am I as oh, this is my role or this is who I work for. I think the last probably five years has been a real pivotal thing for me of, you know, you're defined by a lot more than just your job. I don't know whether that's because I've got kids that are getting a bit older now. I would probably sit here now and say, you know, I'm a dad. I've got a 10-year-old and 8-year-olds who are me very busy and are fantastic. You know, I'm a very competitive sportsman. I do a lot of sailing and cycling. And then I also have a job as well. So I think it's um, it's an interesting balance on people normally start with job. And I don't know whether I just feel like I'm getting old when I start with me rather than the job. But career-wise, um, obviously from the UK, as you can tell. Um, so came out of uni and did the big four thing. Uh, worked for Pricewaterhouse in the northeast of England. So did my three years of audit, um, as most, most of us do. Um, and then sort of moved into their business consulting and processing controls space. Um, did quite a bit of work for them uh, across the UK in retail and FMCG in that space. Um, took a bit of a career break for eighteen months, which I can touch on later, and then transferred over to the Sydney office. Uh, that would have been in two thousand and nine. I got here um, and started working in FMCG retail um, over here with Price Waterhouse. So pretty much. I think Woolworths over here need people who've done FMCG retail from a consulting perspective, but they do not anyone that's worked at West Farmers, which leaves a really small pool of people. So if you come from overseas and you've worked in any sort of retail, you're in high demand. So I did look quite a lot with Woolies and Big W um, and then a load of FMCG companies. And one of the companies ends ended up account managing was Lion Nathan, the brewery. Um, so account managed them. And at that time, they were just acquiring Little Creatures and their head of, Risk and internal audit was going to go and lead the Little Creatures integration, and so they turned around to me and said, "Oh, would you come on Comment for six months and you know lead our sort of risk and internal audit team for six months?" So I was like, "Yeah, okay, I can do that." So I did that on Comment for six months, and about five months in, realised they weren't recruiting for this role very hard, and sure enough, they just said, "Oh, yeah, you know, would you like to stay?" That's how they get you really yeah, in. Like yeah. just, <laughs> <a secondment. laughs> just a Comment. Just a Comment, it's fine. So, um, so yeah, jump ship uh, from. Bryce Waterhouse, as it was then, uh, over to Lion and and did a number of roles with Lion over sort of nine years, moved around a lot um, in probably what are non-traditional finance roles, Um, and then uh, left Lion middle of last year and started with a company called Liquor Marketing Group, which no one's heard of, but um, they're essentially a cooperative that run independent bottle shops. So we've got about 1,500 bottle shops, um, bottle marts is probably the brand that most of you will be familiar with in New South Wales. If anyone's from South Australia, you'll have seen a sip and save in every town. I'd never heard of them, so I went to SA, so don't feel bad. Um, so yeah, so joined there back about nine months ago as their CFO, and we've been there since. So still doing the retail and liquor thing. Awesome, awesome.
0: And a bit off on a tangent to the points around the we're not just talking about our jobs. Um, some fact finding around you. I mean, when you like, what well, this is a bit off topic, guys. But when you're <laughs> when you're reading, are you a fact or
1: a fiction guy? What are you into at the minute? Uh, I like fact, mm. um, so I'm I'm very outdoorsy, um, and so I love kind of all those biographies and autobiographies about crazy people. So Ronald uh, finds and you know kind of modern explorers. So I've just finished reading um, Curtis McGraw's book. Mm. So he's um, a Kiwi who. Was living in Australia, got his leg uh, blown off uh, in Afghanistan, and then went and became an Olympic rower, a Paralympic rower, um, so he won gold uh, in the kayak um, for Australia, mm-hmm. so just reading his story, and I love those kind of explorers and people that really push themselves, yeah. my wife hates it, because I always come away going, <laughs> oh, I should do this, or I should you know, like, ride a bike across the Antarctic, <laughs> or you know, get these crazy ideas and things I want to do, but. I really enjoy those kind of fictional, yeah. aspirational books. Sorry, yeah. factual. Factual books.
0: <laughs> <laughs> And uh, obviously touched on that. You're very outdoorsy. But if you had to live somewhere that wasn't Sydney, where, where, would, you, where would you go?
1: Yeah, um, so it wasn't Sydney. Um, I'd probably try and live in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. That would be my, my go-to. Um, so I mentioned I had a career break. Um, so my wife and I sailed a yacht from the UK to Australia over 18 months. Wow. Um, so we're both sailors. We both grew up sailing and we were, I don't know, early 2000s. We were sort of just got married and we were on our honeymoon and my wife really wanted to go travelling and I didn't do the whole gap between uni and work thing that a lot of people do. And we were, uh, we were on holiday and we were drunk one night. And she goes, oh, you know, when are we going to go travelling? And I said, oh, I think I'd miss sailing too much because I was really competitive sailing then. I think I'd miss sailing too much if you weren't travelling and she was drunk. She goes, oh, we could just travel on a boat. I went, oh, that's a great idea. And then like a week later, we bought a yacht. Oh, wow. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So, and then spent quite a lot of time in the Caribbean on that trip. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I just really loved the, <laughs> the culture and the attitude and the, how laid back it was. Yeah. Probably not the best place to have a career. You, know, yeah. you don't find that many big multinationals in the Caribbean. Um, They're all in the Cayman
0: Islands, aren't they? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. Um, you know as, as a parent now, I look and go, Oh, it's probably not the best place to raise kids yeah. in terms of like future opportunities for them, but um, yeah, it's definitely on the retirement card. Yeah,
0: how yeah. <laughs> do you go about getting the two of you to take a boat right across to Australia? Because that's a massive journey, just two two people. Was it just the two of you on the boat?
1: Or? Yeah, just the two of us on the boat. So, um, so we we bought the boat and then we were going to sail up and you know kind of migrate over here, yeah, and um, we. We were living in Newcastle in the northeast of England, um, and we, we put the house on the market on a Friday, and then on the Monday the GFC started, and Northern Rock, which was the first bank that went yeah. down, was headquartered in Newcastle. So we had our house in the market, and we halved the asking price over six months, and not a single person walks in the front door, Jeez. and as we were trying to sell our house, people are queuing up every day to take money out of the banks, yeah. so we were like, well, well, let's remortgage while there's still some equity in the yeah. house, and use yeah, the money out of the house for a trip. So we still actually own that house in the UK, yeah, haven't probably. allowed to sell it yet. It's not quite like the Sydney property market <laughs> there. <was> right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we, we, we just kind of went, oh, let's let's sell up and do it. And we'd yeah. never done big boat sailing before, never crossed an ocean before. Yeah, but geez. I just went, oh, let's take it one day at a time. Yeah. And yeah, off we went. I, wa- I remember walking into the partner's office in, in PwC in, in the UK and said, right, I'd like a career break and I want to move to Sydney. And he goes, yeah, okay, I know someone in Sydney, I can give them a call. I said, oh, I'd like some time off. He goes, Yeah, you yeah, know what, three, four weeks we can arrange that. How about a year and a half? And he goes, Well, I'm not going to pay you, and they're not going to pay you, so it doesn't really it doesn't make any difference to us.
0: I think you're resigning.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know, as it turned out, it worked really well because I was away during all the GFC, and I got here in late '09. just we we're coming out the other end, and so. They were kind of quite happy that I was off the payroll yeah. for 18 months and, yeah, it worked out well in hindsight.
0: So top tip, if there's another economic crash, get on a boat. Yeah, Net just, on just it for disappear. a zone, It'll pass, it'll just blow over. <laughs> a great idea. Um, and a slightly different tag, but if you could sit on it, I know you do, sit on the board of any organisation, what would it be and, and why?
1: Yeah, so I've, I've been sitting on a few boards. And, um, I think the one for me that would be really exciting... Um, strategically be something like Red Bull. You know, like on the skin of it, it's a consumable product, but when you actually scratch the surface, it's just a mass marketing business. Yeah. And some of their, you know, their board decisions and strategy, I think, would just be really insightful to get inside that business and understand how you go from you know, unhealthy, fizzy drink that really shouldn't be that popular to one of the biggest brands in the world with the kind of reach they've got and everything yeah. from, you know, motorsport to extreme sports and football TV clubs. channels, football yeah. clubs, just incredible yeah. from, you know, what they've got. So, yeah, that would be an amazing opportunity. I wasn't expecting that one. Cool. <laughs> um, back on the career point then I mean,
0: why finance? I mean, did, what got you into it? And, and did you think of anything else in the meantime? Or was it always finance
1: for you? Or? So a little bit materialistic. When I was probably 8 or 10 years old, my godfather was an accountant who was a family friend, and he had awesome sports cars. So I remember being 8 years old going, I want to be an accountant like Uncle Ian because Uncle Ian drives awesome cars. And he used to take me to watch Formula 1 races, and we'd drive down there in his MG or whatever he had at the time, and I just go, I want to be like this guy. So um, I think from an early age, you know, I was – Luckily, quite good at mathematics, yeah. so I was like, "Oh, you know, maths, numbers, finance, kind of makes sense." And when I went to go to uni, I um, actually applied to um, three or four different business schools to do finance, and I also applied because I was really into sailing to do yacht design. Mm-hmm. And I remember my, my dad sitting down and going, "Drawing pictures of boats is not a career. Like, you can't spend three <laughs> years drawing pictures and call that a career. You've got to go and do finance." And in hindsight, I'm, I'm glad he did. Yeah, <laughs> probably a good bit of advice that one. I don't
0: know how many yacht designers in career. Well, that's after. what he said. He
1: goes, name famous yacht designers. Mm. And when I was on one hand and I'd run out of names, he goes, yeah, exactly. You
0: know how many famous accountants there are, though, as well? Yeah, probably the wealthy ones. Yeah. <laughs> and um, early on in your career, what would you say was the best formative job for you then or the best, best learning curve for you? Yeah,
1: I think at the time, you know, everyone does that sort of three, four years of audit in a big four or a mid-tier. And um, I think it can be a bit relentless and some people get a bit fatigued with it and it's long hours and you're travelling a lot. Um, I think looking back in hindsight and being where I am now, you, you get the opportunity to walk into the door of you know 15 to 30 businesses a year, lift the lids, look at what they do well, look at the mistakes, see how different things work. And, you know, sitting in a CFO role now where you've got to make all these decisions, kind of looking back on that and going, oh, I remember going into that place where this worked well or, oh, I remember seeing that and it was an absolute train wreck and we should make sure we never do that again. I think that's that was a massive amount of experience you get in a really short space of time. Yeah. Um, and I think people probably don't appreciate the value you get from a role like that because it is it is hard and you don't get paid very much and you are young. and probably more focused on... You get paid in experience. Yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the message. <laughs> Absolutely. What was the, what was the northeast like then for, for an audit market? Because obviously, um, most people in the room will know the Sydney one relatively well, but mm.
1: what's what's Newcastle got in terms of orders? So they used to group, um, for those who are familiar with the UK, Newcastle, Leeds, and Manchester together yeah. as like the northern region. Um, but there was a few companies that were headquartered out of Newcastle that were sort of national. Mm. And for whatever reason pwc internal politics they decided it was actually cheaper to send people from newcastle all over the uk and even europe than it was to get pwc employees in those cities to do jobs i think because we got paid less in the north so it was actually cheaper to pay our expenses so i spent heaps of time in like you know southampton and, and all over the uk and then even in spain and did a couple of jobs over in connecticut in the us and so that was really cool sort of seeing different businesses and traveling um the big retail there. I was fortunate to be there when Morrison's supermarkets bought out um, Safeway. So, for those of you who don't know UK retail, that would be the equivalent of like Aldi buying out Coles. It was yeah massive. You know, someone with like eight hundred stores buying out someone with three thousand stores, and Morrison's had no technology, no systems. It was really old school, and Safeway was like the leading edge technology partner. And so I got seconded in there for six months to help them do some integration, and, and that was really cool, um, just being part of that process. Um, it was an interesting company to work in because it was a listed company, but Ken Morrison, who founded okay. it and had the original corner store, was the chairman of the board and still wandered around head office, and he'd just pop by your desk and ask what you were doing, and had this really weird, old-school way of doing things. So He didn't like banks taking money off him in terms of transaction fees. Yeah. So if you had any out-of-pocket expenses, once a week, the receptionist from the from head office would walk down to the nearest branch and she'd get the takings out of the tills at the end of the day and literally handcuff it to a wrist in the suitcase, walk back to head office, and she would sit in the lobby and hand out your expenses in cash. Because he believed that was better than you know, paying bank fees to put money in and take money out again.
0: What did the auditors think of the cash trial on <laughs> it? <laughs> it was pretty
1: dodgy. But that, that was a kind of like listed business. It's yeah. huge. And they're doing things like that. Yeah. So as an auditor, it was like, wow. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's very different. It's very different. And and did that draw you towards... Because obviously then you've done Lion, you know, Liquor Market, and it's very retail, FMCG. Is that what got you into that wanting to do that space?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I've always been... Um, quite logical and to me fmcg and retail um you passes the barbecue test you know you can talk to people barbecue and you go oh what do you do and you go oh you know sell beer oh you know what brands and it's very tangible you can explain to people it's that box on the shelf you know when you walk into dan murphy's this brand and this brand are the ones i do um other you know i was always challenged with financial services um probably because i'm not smart enough but um Yeah, just the idea of things that aren't physically tangible I found really, really tough to get my head around, whereas things where I can put myself in the shoes of a consumer and go, when I walk into a shop and I see that item, what draws me to that item over that item? As a finance person, I can then give those insights back to the business and you can go, well, you know, we make more margin here, but this one as a consumer is more attractive. And all of a sudden you're seen as some really insightful finance person Mm -hmm. when it's really just... You know, using your brain outside of work. Mm,
0: yeah, totally. And I think one thing now, obviously, a lot of finance teams are doing is changing, and you know, change management. change management is such a big thing. Um, what, what's one of the biggest innovations that you've led and been sort of proud of leading?
1: Yeah, so I mentioned I did a lot of roles at Lion. I think I did eight roles over nine years. And one of the less conventional finance roles was um, myself and a, another chap, called gordon trainer got asked to go and do a startup uh within line so they said oh we want, we want to really disrupt the way we work um you know at the time this was maybe five years ago there's one craft brewery a week was opening in australia so you've got 500 craft breweries one a week's opening taking market share away from us and they said look you know as a huge corporate we can never be agile enough to compete so let's do a startup we want you to act like a startup um and think like a startup and create some more small craft beer brands um, but obviously you don't need to worry about the cash because you'll just pull it out of Lion's Bank account so that was kind of a dream role but very unconventional for a finance person and so we went off and over two years we, we founded this business called Malt Shovel They started the little brewery at Camperdown and we, we built five or six craft beer brands so we built a brewery in um, Townsville one in Noosa uh one in perth one in sydney and then we um bought panhead out in new zealand Mm. and did the distribution rights with brooklyn brewery in new york um and then we put a sales team on the roads, and we went you know how do we break the sales cycle and let's do things differently Mm. and and so really just transform the way that business operated we put in um technology so we you know um used this program called Ordermentum to do customer ordering and really took away all the sales team uh, interface and made it all digital. Um, and that was awesome fun, you know, like changed the way we work. CEO sort of turned around to us and gave us the brief of, you know, if I don't hear your name getting scolded by somebody because yeah. you're upsetting people, then you're not doing your job. So we started walking into board meetings in head office wearing jeans and T-shirts. And people would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. And then when people accepted it, we started wearing shorts and thongs into the <laughs> office. And people are really upset when you said shorts and thongs. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, you don't need to wear a suit. Mm. And it wasn't about what you are wearing, but it was about that mentality of breaking yeah. the mould and doing things differently. And oh, that was an awesome two years. That was really good fun and learnt learned a lot.
0: Would you have been competing in a way with Lion as well then? Because yeah. you were trying to take share off in a weird way. There way? was a
1: lot of tension there. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So we went out and you know, to begin with, everyone's like, oh, look at these guys just sucking a load of cash and, you know, being a bit disruptive. And then we started getting some big rungs on the board. And I think in, after 18 months, we had 400 customers. Um, and then we're like, we started to pick off all the small restaurants and cafes around the city centres. That line had always gone, oh, look, you know, we're really big and those guys are too small and we only walk into big places. So we started walking into all the small joints and signing them up. Meanwhile, the big business is sort of losing share and sort of stalling a bit. And there was, you know, a bit of tension there. And all of a sudden, the big business sites send their sales guys in to pick on the restaurants and cafes that we were picking on. And then for six months, there was this tension. It's like, you know, literally two reps walk into the same venue on the same day. And you're like, this is silly. And we had to have, you know, this kind of meeting of heads over a board table of going, look, I get this tension, but we can't, you know, we can't fight over the same thing when we're, you know, we've got opportunity out there to grow the business. And so we had to have a bit of a line in the sand and move forward, but... I think to get to the point where you're making your business sort of a bit antagonised internally mm-hmm. was quite powerful.
0: Yeah, as you said, it's a disruptor as well to, yeah. it, to itself as well, which you know, lion maybe needed as well because oh, it's it, it, it's quite a legacy business, isn't it? Yeah. You know, as well, which is which is really cool, awesome, and I guess that's probably one of the prouder moments um, I think in anyone's career, and and you know you've got to face it. We do have moments of, of sorts of, um, you know, failure or setbacks. I mean, what's one of your biggest setbacks
1: that you've dealt with? Yeah, well, I think setback at the time, but in hindsight, it was, it was a huge um, boost for me. So after I, when I moved into Lion, and I did my risk and internal audit piece for maybe a year, and my intent was always to move into a commercial role and be more in the business. Um, so an opportunity came up, Lion used to have a regional structure where every state had a regional director and a commercial manager, and they were essentially like a mini CEO, CFO of the state. Um, and the model used to be that, you know, if you hadn't done it all before, you get sent to SA, maybe Vic, um, and then if you go a bit better, you get put into WA, and then when you experience they put you into Queensland or New South Wales. Um, so anyway, I've been there about 18 months, and the New South Wales commercial manager role came up. And I'm like, well, that's going to go to one of the commercial managers among the other states. They're going to move me. Anyway, I got a tap on the shoulder and said, oh, you said, know, do you want to apply for this role? And I'm like, it's oh, like the dream job. And the regional director at the time was the golden boy. He was, you know, like the up and coming star. He'd actually been in finance and he'd been the commercial manager of that state before, um, which was pretty challenging in itself in that he'd done the role and knew his business partner. So he kind of knew what to expect. Anyway, so I applied for that and got that role, which was awesome. Um, and, you know, day one, I remember walking into that role on the first day and the very first thing I had to do in that morning, they were trying to finalize the, um, the beer deal for Merivale. And it's like, you cannot lose this customer, biggest customer in, in Sydney. You cannot lose it. I'm like, oh, my God. No I don't pressure. i like, no idea how much can I spend and literally didn't have a clue what to do. Um, anyway, so I did that role for like nine months and was partnering with the sales team As you can imagine, beer sales, lots of fun, lots of, you know, taking customers to soccer games and lunches. And then they announced that we're going to restructure and we're going to get rid of all the regional structure and centralise it all. And all the regional directors were gone, all the regional commercial managers were gone. And I was just devastated. I'm like, I can't believe that I've wanted this role. I've got this golden opportunity to set the best role in the business. And it's just been pulled out from underneath me. And then given my background, they said, oh, we actually want you to leave the role earlier and help do the process re-engineering to centralise it and reprocess map how the business is going to work. So I essentially went back into a corporate role in Lion. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I didn't want to yeah. do. Anyway, kind of fast forward and the role that I got coming out the back of it all was looking after all the on-premise contracts, for all the pubs and stadiums for the whole of Australia um, from a commercial perspective, um, which was a huge opportunity and I learned a lot. Um, I actually did some really good stuff in that role that I enjoyed. And then that gave me the platform to step into this craft beer role and then do the malt shovel piece and a few other things. And so in hindsight, it was a bit of a silver lining, but at the time mm. I just remember being hugely disappointed. Yeah.
0: To so go from what was a hugely commercial role to a systems-y sort of role. Back into systems yeah, yeah, yeah. and then
1: wondering what I was going to do next. Yeah. And you, know, you start scouring LinkedIn and going, oh, you know, what's yeah. out there?
0: <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lesson there, though, as well, because a lot of people would get that moment of this isn't what I want to do throw the toys out the prime and maybe move on or start thinking about it. And I don't know if you did think about it, but sticking it out sometimes pays off because people go, oh, well, you've done that role that we needed you to do, now what do you want to do? Because you've you've done that for us.
1: And I I think maybe a bit naively, I thought, oh, you know, this is, I know it's not personal. I haven't kind of taken it all away from me. It's a business thing. I'm like, oh, I'll probably get forgotten about and i really need to fight. And on reflection, you go well. That person that tapped me on the shoulder to put me in that huge role as an opportunity, they obviously did that for a reason. Yeah. They've asked me to help process map it for a reason. You kind of got to trust that they've got you in the back of the mind when they're putting the new org chart together, what it's going to look like. But it's quite a big leap yeah. when you're, you know, a bit younger and and less confident to to assume that's yeah. going to happen.
0: So sometimes one step back to take two forward, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Totally. And because you done, was it eight, nine years total in the end of that line, right? Nine, yeah. Nine. How did you know when you were ready to go? Because that's a, a big decision to make, right? You know?
1: Yeah, uh, probably the same as when I was at House, to be honest. Mm. Um, two things for me is, one, when you, you wake up and you don't have the the passion and the fire to, to really give it 100%. And the second, you know, when you feel like you've done so much that you've almost made you all redundant. You know, it becomes a bit of a going through the motions and you're like, everything, all the plates are spinning nicely, Mm -hmm. there's no fires, you know, things come in and you just pick them up and flick them back out really quickly and you go, oh, actually, if I took two weeks off, I reckon everything would carry on. And at that point, you go, right, well, I need a new challenge. And if if there's nothing immediately available, it's probably a good test to yourself of, is the next challenge here or is it broader? And I think I was lucky that Lion is such a big business that I was able to do so many different roles within Lion. But if you look at those roles, they're all very different you know, like um, sales, uh, operations, tech startups. The last role I did was business development director mm-hmm. and I sat on a board of a lot of um, startups that they'd invested in and see capital funds. So I think a lot of diversity, and I think if I look back, I moved every sort of 12 to 18 mm-hmm. months and I think I got kind of got to that point where done 12 to 18 months, I was probably ready for my next challenge and mm-hmm. I couldn't say anything within line. So then became a pretty foregone conclusion. Fair,
0: fair. And obviously, to that point, you've done a heap of, I'm going to use inverted commas, the non-traditional mm. finance roles. Um, how do you think that benefited, has benefited your career so far in terms of doing all these different things that are not your typical finance role?
1: Yeah, and it was something that I was worried about leaving PwC. So when you're at PwC and you're on this kind of, every 18 months I go from associate to senior associate to manager to senior manager to director... And your salary ratchets up nicely and it's quite planned and you can almost go, oh, if I'm three years at this level, then I'm probably not going to make it. But if I get there in 18 months, I'm fast tracked and you can really easily peg your career. And then you move somewhere like Lion where I did oh, maybe seven years at sort of their manager level um, and did so many different roles at that level, but they're really diverse and you sort of get a bit worried about, oh, am I progressing fast enough? Well, that breadth of experience, I think, is really important. And, um, you know, now as as a CFO, it's so much broader than just finance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's everything in the business. Um, And to have that experience, you know, having done a sales role, done a supply chain role, done strategic roles, um, you know, had board seats, I think just rounds you so much Mm -hmm. to consider other perspectives. Um, And really, you know, within line as well, their commercial roles aren't finance roles, that makes sense. They've got a, a very commercial heavy business to the point where the sales team especially kind of go oh, anything with numbers in, that's commercial. You're like they their dates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but they literally they won't they won't open a spreadsheet. Yeah. So you become as a commercial person, you become very strategic mm. um, and very hands-on in the business. And I think that gives you a massive advantage over mm. other places where the business is more commercial and finance is more of a back office support. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely just that breadth of experience. And um, yeah, I don't think I'd underestimate the benefit that mm-hmm.
0: gives you. I think just to touch on that as well, because you're absolutely right. And knowing and people who have been in an out of line, it is very commercial and finance is very valued. What would you say to the people in the room who are probably maybe a little bit earlier on in the career and maybe looking at building the relationships with the business to have that, say... How how do you think the best way of sort of breaking them barriers down? If you know maybe some businesses are a bit more or finances back offers, then they want to be have a seat at the table and and add value. How would you say to do
1: that? Yeah, uh, absolutely important. And I think it's it's a lot of hard yards. You've you've really got to build that connection and trust at a personal level with people. So. I still, to this day, spend, you know, one day a quarter on the road with field teams. I'll go and jump in the car with a new starter and drive around and visit customers and, you know, a day in the life of. Um, and I think that's really important. And, you know, the, the times when I don't get to do that, I really feel like I've missed out on connecting. Um, because, you know, doing that and, and having an interest in the business you know retail FMCG is quite easy I could mm-hmm. back in the days when we used to get newspapers I could open the newspaper and see the beer ads and I could call the rep and go oh you know why Bayfield's advertising for its Gold at 38.99 that's really cheap compared to everyone else like have we funded them what's going on and you can have those conversations you don't necessarily need to give them insights but just be curious and interested in their world and what they do and then it opens that conversation you know where if you just call them going oh mate you're you know this is wrong or you need to chase this customer because they haven't paid, it becomes very transactional. Mm-hmm. And just having a real interest in them, yeah. um, even down to, you know, you go and spend the day in the car on the road with a sales guy, you realise that emails for them are something they do at six o'clock at night when they get home and they're tired. So if you send them a big email, she spent half an hour typing, and is really well structured, they'll half read it, they can't bother, you, you'll get a short, abrupt response. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, those guys maybe have 45 minutes in between each customer where they're on the road in the car and they'll spend all day chatting on the phone. So if you ring them up, they'll have half an hour to have a chat to you you'll get a much better response and they'll talk to you in person and they're naturally not geared towards Mm. laptops and emails like we are. So it's just learning how different people work and then once you start breaking down those barriers, you build those relationships. I think that's a really good point as well because I've probably asked you for a one-size-fits-all answer. (laughs) There isn't one. You have
0: to know the people that you're dealing with and understand them. Yeah,
1: completely. That's a
0: really good point. And and on the non-traditional path, do you feel like you've missed out on anything if you'd gone down
1: a more... Traditional finance, or um, so I think. The one thing that's coming to mind at the moment is, um, you know, I'm fortunate that in LMG I've got a fantastic financial controller. Um, she's been with the business for quite a long time, and her team's really strong. I realise, and this is actually really embarrassing being an accountant and CFO. I've never posted a journal. <laughs> I've done lots of audit, but I've never physically posted a journal, and I've never done anything with tax. I can understand GST is 10. percent. as far as it's a nice round number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy. <laughs> But, you know, so, you know, doing things like tax planning at the moment, spending a bit of time <coughs> with Google and you realise that that kind of financial controller side of accounting is something that I've not really done a lot of. Audit was a long time ago, and it was in the UK, and accounting standards are different. And then when the auditors are calling me now, going, oh, we need to talk to you about your double AASB-16 <laughs> compliance, and we going, what the heck, Double AASB-16? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably the, the gap in my skill set. Um and I probably feel fortunate that I've got to a position where I can have teams underneath me that are expert in those areas and that I can surround myself with support yeah. um, and I don't sort of need to go back and, and gap fill. But I definitely think that's something, um, probably opportunity that I missed along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to, ever want to look at a controller role, <laughs> ask me, I can help. Or, you know, We can put you in one if you really want one.
0: Yeah. Um, and and like obviously again you know and maybe we explain to the guys some of the different boards that you have been on. Mm-hmm. How have them board roles helped, and how did you get into doing doing?
1: Yeah, so um, over the last couple of years, I've had seats on um, Remedy, the kombucha company. Um, they're a really cool business. Their founders literally started in their kitchen, selling out the back of their Toyota Corolla at farmers markets, and they're still on the board. and, and That was really exciting. Um, Drive Yellow, who are like a like a delivery, last mile delivery business. Um, Audimentum, which is a an ordering app that cafes use. So the idea is that cafes have one ordering system, and all the suppliers feed into it. So you don't have to go onto ten different things to order milk and bread and stuff like that. Um, just trying to think. Four Pillars Gin, um, pretty cool. Obvious connection there. Um, and then more recently, a tech startup. Um, called Beer Love um, that I've, I've taken a bit of sweat equity in as well um, so the first four were businesses that Lion had put some seed capital into yep. uh, oh sorry I missed Shibello, they were a coffee roaster company that Lion had invested in as well so that they were kind of aside from Beer Love the others were businesses that Lion invested in and there's my role in business development they wanted me to sit on the board some of them you know like Drive Yellow and Steve CEO fantastic guy Um Just coming into COVID, we were, as a business, on our knees. Like, as directors, daily cash flow meetings, daily board meetings, have we got enough money in the bank, when's the credit card due, approving who we're going to pay. Like, every day we were like, when do we call it? When do we, you know, when do we wave wave the white flag? Mm -hmm. And then COVID came and everyone wants home delivery and the business just went through the roof. And we were probably a week away from pulling the pin on that business. So really, really stressful but you get a massive insight into, you know, how, how a really business works. On the flip side, Remedy just going strength to strength to strength. In the middle of COVID, they had a US-UK business uh, that we got some um, US private equity board into, so we had to carve that out. And, yeah, massively complex legal documents carving out international parts for business and creating manufacturer agreements and um setting up a massive uh, manufacturing site they're about to open the new plant down in melbourne um that's going to be the largest fermentary in the world mm. um so going through all that and fundraising and so yeah hugely different and you know you've got on one side you've got kind of entrepreneur owners startups on board who literally they see you as the golden goose because you've come mm. from corporate and they keep going oh line just give us an extra 50 grand 100 grand and you're like no mate we're not a bank we're a shareholder we're not a bank we're not doing loans and on the other side with remedy you know one of the other shareholders who was on the board of me is a guy called um ruffy gaminda who's the chairman of PACT group his wife is fiona she's like the third richest woman in australia he's you know billionaire amazing guy really nice guy but you kind of sat there going and oh, not say anything stupid and embarrass myself in front of this guy Really, really nice guy, very down to earth, but complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of you know your board table uh, etiquette and how things are run. But yeah, just gaining all those diverse perspectives really interesting.
0: And that I think that's an interesting point as well because obviously, a lot of people go into a big corporate and you only ever see the big corporate, but you get the best of both worlds there where you're seeing the small agile business, but you're also getting the the safety if you will of a big corporate that, that's going yeah. to be fine yeah,
1: yeah and that, it, was, it was a fantastic role in that you've got that safety net of being big corporate mm. frustrating as well because you're on all these small businesses that are very agile they're entrepreneurial and they're sort of turning around and going oh we need channel approval to do this we want to do it next week and mm. you're like oh well actually that's above this threshold so it needs to go up to our parent company in Tokyo their next board meetings in three months and you pre-read out to them 90 days before these guys are going what are you like yeah. Three months, we'll be a different business. In three months, we want to move today, mm. and so you end up like kind of that middleman stuck in between a big corporate and a startup, trying to manage expectations, mm. which was really really hard. But um, yeah, you learn a lot about business yeah. in the hard times,
0: And especially. I'm guessing as you've gone into LMG, you take that with you, and then you've got a bit more of a agile mindset than maybe more yeah, than completely.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it's really nice having a a non sort of corporate structure in a business like LMG. We're mm. a lot more agile and. Just make things
0: happen. Yeah. And what was it like then making that move, I guess, from from Lion being again, you know, the big corporate? Yes, you've done the agile smaller businesses to LMG, as you said then, is is a co-op, you're the CFO. It's a very different role to, to step into to be the, the top person in finance across such a big group. What what was that
1: like? Yeah, so again, probably trying to smash both worlds together, you kind of got a bit of corporate and you need that governance and structure same time you're small and you need to be agile and you're bringing your startup mentality to it Um, trying to kind of align those two in your head without making a mess of things you know you don't want to you don't want to put too much governance in but then you don't want to be too reckless at the same time and trying to get that balance um, was a trying to find that ground was a bit interesting Um, I think the biggest thing for me is even when you're you know on those boards you know you'll, you'll discuss things as a board, as a startup in line there's always Kieran is a parent company up in Tokyo, so there's always someone you've got to kind of impress. And the biggest thing I remember going to LMG was I'd walk into the CEO's office probably three times a day and go, I'm just going to do this. And he's like, and? <laughs> and it's kind of that realisation that you don't need to inform, and you don't yeah. need to seek approval for everything. You can just empower to go off and do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you've got delegations of authority and all that, but you're so used to in a big corporate just kind of seeking permission or letting people know what's going on or, you know, making sure everyone's comfortable yeah. and all of a sudden you realise that you don't need to do that anymore and it's kind of just a quick heads up as you go yeah. through. Yeah. yeah. So that was probably the biggest step change. Mm-hmm. And obviously now what, nine months into that role, I
0: mean, are you, do you see any gaps in your experience where you think oh, I probably need to tighten this up or I need good people around me for that or?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, taking that business on a, on a bit of a journey, they've, um, Business has been around for quite a long time, um, but going through a huge period of growth. So it's doubled in size in the last five years. And obviously, COVID's been a big boost with pubs and hotels being closed and everyone's buying from bottle shops. So uh, what, what I've been saying a lot internally is, you know, it's a business that was systems this big and all of a sudden the business is now this big and it's still on the same systems. So we've doing a lot of work to kind of get the business ready for its next phase of growth and in many cases just catch up starts so with both people and systems and so I'm actually leaning a lot back on my PwC days of like process engineering and controls and automation to go like how do we put in place better processes and systems for this business and to get a future ready um, also doing a little bit of M&A work to kind of fast track some of those growth phases um, so that kind of leans into what I was doing with boards so really interesting I think yeah opportunity um, is just to just to keep learning more and uh, you know learning the business because you think you know you know ten years in, in liquor and you go oh well same same I mean it's almost a completely different industry when you're on the other side of the fence yeah. as a retailer rather than a supplier. I think mean, I was quite surprised how different that shift is, even though you're you're in the same process. You're on the other side of the, of yeah. the curve. I think that's a common assumption
0: as well when people go from say with like your FMCG supplying to Woolies and then you go to Woolies or, or vice versa you yeah. think got will be the same it's just the, the, the one step on isn't it but it yeah. is quite a different landscape quite, to be quite it.
1: different yeah. yeah yeah and you all you know sitting there as lying you think about consumer and who's drinking our products mm-hmm. and obviously as a retailer you're thinking about consumer and who's coming in to buy the products yeah. but it's a very different lens on yeah. on what happens in between production and consumer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as retail, you kind of caught in the middle and you're trying to squeeze everything you can out of suppliers whilst trying to get the best outcome in store, whereas suppliers kind of almost miss the retailer. They just mm. focus on the end. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, constantly trying to get it in their face and make a bit of an impact. And, and
0: looking at the, I guess, the, the CFO of the future, because it's, it's quite a hot topic at the moment, because obviously, like everything in the world, there's a lot of change in that space. Well, what do you think the... The future CFO skill set will consist of. Yeah,
1: well, we've um, been looking at our team recently, and one of the things that's really struck me is how tech heavy the sort of manager level team are getting. Um, you know, I recently had someone leave our team, and it was an accountant who came in, got really into some sort of our data and some of our data analytics, is actually gone and is now pursuing an IT career. Mm. Um, and I think looking forward, that ability to do um, data analytics and really, you know, like looking, at being able to go more than just yeah, I can open Power BI, mm-hmm. actually going yeah, yeah, I can understand how a SQL database is structured, not at a tech level, but yeah. I understand that there's tables and that you know this is how we query data and how mm-hmm. we can cube it and pull it together. I think that skill set, if, if you've got that skill set and a bit of commercial nous about you. That you're going to be unstoppable as a finance professional because everything, as we know, is all data-driven now. Yeah. Um, and I think as finance people, it used to be this finance versus IT, and I think so much that's crossover there. And if you're, yeah, commercially astute, financially savvy, but you understand data and you can actually drill into it and mm. generate insights from it, I think that'll be a killer combination.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of one of our clients says if. If Finance is red, and then there's sort of IT systems is blue. You kind of want to be the purple person who yeah. can do a bit of both, and that's a, a really good spot to find yourself in, I think. Yeah, uh, completely.
1: Going forward. completely. Everything's
0: yeah. so driven by by them insights now as well. And to your point, it's one thing going, Oh, yeah, I, I can use Power BI, versus, but do you understand it. What can you do with it? You know,
1: really yeah, yeah,
0: demonstrate it rather than just, Yeah, I know put the charts together you know
1: all the, and that's the great thing with something like Power BI or you know business objects whatever the teams are using um, Tableau is they're built so that you know your sales exec who's on the road in the car can just open it pull up a report and see information mm. so that's all you're doing I mean that's really they're, they're meant to be kind of idiot proof and they're designed for everyone to be able to do that so if you're trying to be the data insights person mm. you need to be able to go a step further yeah. and just open the report and see which way the graph's going
0: mm. totally yeah. totally and then um, sort of looking forward, and, and obviously we've, we've got a room of, of up-and-coming professionals. I mean, if you could go back to a, a 25-year-old Johnny and give him one piece of advice, <laughs> uh, what would it be? Oh, uh,
1: I think just take every opportunity. Um, one of my favourite sayings or quotes is from Mark Twain, and, and his quote is, 20 years from now you regret more the things you didn't do than the things you did. Um, I think that's that's really powerful you know if you do something you know the fact that you're in this room and and you're looking out there and you're making decisions whatever situation you find yourself in you'll make the best of it so if you say yes to an opportunity I genuinely believe nine times out of ten you'll make it work for you whereas if you say no and you pass up an opportunity you'll spend a long time going oh what if you know what if I'd taken that secondment what if I'd changed roles what if I'd moved overseas. Whereas if you actually go and do it, you'll most times you'll make it work. So yeah, just jump in and, and back yourself.
0: And I think as well, one one thing you'll find the worst case scenario is not that bad a lot of the time. Like if it yeah. doesn't work out, you go, oh, well, I give it a go. Yeah. You get a scarf from it and you go, Well I learned something that I take it with me for the next one, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, really important to be able to to reframe those in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you take a job, worst case scenario, you're six months in, it's really not working out. Well, how do you reframe that? Um, and not only to yourself, but also when you're going out there and looking in the job market. Um, you know, I had a candidate uh, recently who we offered a role to, and he probably wouldn't mind me sharing this. Came in, interviewed, thought he was really good, offered him a role, sent him out a contract. I called him the next day and said, I'm going to contract back. And he goes, oh yeah, I've decided to go somewhere else. I'm really sorry okay disappointed but you know whatever and he goes oh look can we keep in touch and I went yeah okay let's let's do that and we'll keep in touch and let's you know thought you're a really great guy I'm thinking that you know you've got to pay the room for the long term anyway we recruited someone else that person actually didn't pan out he had, uh, he had to relocate overseas for family reasons after two weeks of joining us the day that guy resigned first person that we talked to he called me he goes, Oh, I took another job against my better instincts, but someone told me it was a good opportunity. And actually, I've realized I made the wrong choice. I'm like, Well, fortunately for you. <laughs> and we went and had a coffee. And he you know, said, oh, Well, you know, tell me, am I just back up? Am I second? And he goes, No. And he, he taught me through his rationale of why I wanted to come back. And I think being able to back yourself and go, Look, I tried this, but I realized it was wrong. And I don't want to stick it out for 12 months doing something I don't enjoy. Made a mistake. I realized I want this other role, and this is why, and these are the reasons. And he's now working with us and, and doing an amazing job. Um, yeah, bizarre turn of events, but I think you've just got to you know stick with it and, and make the most of it and change that narrative for yourself about why you've made that decision. Totally,
0: totally. And uh, I think we just touched on it with the with the data world, but I mean the future world of finance. What, what do you think ten years from now? What, what are we looking at? Do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I don't think finance is um, is going to be all spreadsheets and financial accounts you know if I look now even even like the month end process as it was um, is becoming less and less and it's becoming more and more kind of you know what's your best estimate on where we are and what we're going to need to finish yeah. it's less rear, rear vision and more future focused and I think that's going to be the you know the trend increasingly is as data becomes better and better you can almost see performance real time you know like sure most businesses are the same, but 10 a.m. every day I get a report on where our sales were for yes. yesterday, and I know exactly where we're trending for the month and the week and the year on yeah. a daily basis. So at the end of the month, turning around to people and going, oh, this is what happened. Well, everyone knows what happened anyway, you know, like your top-line, pretty much drives a business, yeah. unless you find anything crazy going on in the middle. <coughs> so really that, that role of finance is future focused and going, okay, well, this is where we are, and this is how we get out of it, or this is how we make the best of it, or this is how we accelerate even further. Mm-hmm. And that ability to drive the business into the future, and look at strategy and finance, and you know, um, tactical and competitive sets from now until the end of the year or the next three years, and looking forwards is going to be going to be the key. I think the days of looking behind us and producing you know, fifty-page 50 PowerPoint decks on what happened last month. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not going to be uh, not going to be a big focus anymore.
0: Yeah, but to your <laughs> point as well, when you said you haven't got the financial control skill set that that maybe others have, I know for for us when we're looking for financial controllers, it's actually one of the hardest roles now for us yeah. to find people for because everyone's wanting to do more commercial, more forward thinking, and more value add. Yeah. So if anyone wants to be a really good controller, there's going to be a great career path in there because, because there's no one wanting to do it. So supply and demand, you'll do well out of it. But, um, but it's so truly everyone now is so, you know, they want to do audit then they want to go and be commercial and they want to add mm. the value out, but that's where the business wants finance to be. You know, <laughs> yeah. Everything else is kind of assumed that you've done it and it needs to be done, but it's not where everyone wants to be doing. if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, even simple things like, you know, supply statement racks, I remember looking at those as an auditor 20 years ago and you know you get really excited by them and now we all just assume it happens like you know it's, it's in the system the mm-hmm. system does it you know SAP will do it on its own for you and you know if not there's probably an offshore team that does it and it's not a big deal whereas I remember 20 years ago it was a really big thing in finance oh, you know it's coming up towards the end of the year we've got to get all our supply statement of X done and make sure we know where we are and there's no mystical rules and, and these days it's just sort of assumed knowledge yeah and, um, yeah
0: so, and and obviously now nine months into LMG, um, what what's the future for you? Where do you see yourself going?
1: Yeah, as I mentioned, I've, um, obviously nine months at LMG you've got a, got a big agenda for growth. There mm-hmm. uh, also got a few interests on the back burner. So I, I really enjoy that startup space. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of having dabbled in that when I was at Lion. Just the the speed and agility, Um, so I've got quite a few contacts in that space and my time there. So I've got some sweat equity in a business um, called Beer Love, who do um, basically tap beer for at home. Mm -hmm. So they take these one-off kegs of craft beer that you can only get from the breweries, you know, you can't get it in Dan's, and they basically decant them into small five litre kegs that you can have at home or for parties and things. so working a lot with those guys to help grow that business. Um, also got a lot of connections in those kind of micro brewery type businesses. So sounds quite same same more liquor, but um, definitely in that start up space. Um, and then the other area which I've been sort of dabbling in in my mind, and you know I think there's there's opportunity there, and it's very tangential. But you know, as someone who's spent a lot of time on the ocean and, and loves sailing, is all that ocean plastics and cleanup and green energy and. And even all the stuff that um the guys in new zealand with the america's cup are doing now with hydrogen power yeah. as opposed to battery and i think there's there's gonna be a big demand in that space and i've got a few ideas buzzing around in my head but you know how do you be the marketplace for all this collated recycled plastic and you know there's a big push to people to use that stuff yeah. and obviously it's great for the environment um so they're, they're probably two things that are buzzing around in my head that are mm. quite interesting and things that i could uh put some energy behind in the future. Awesome. Awesome. And um, I guess
0: one last question and it's the one we finish all these things on is, I mean, what would be your top three tips for aspiring finance professionals? What would your top three tips be?
1: Yeah, I think number one which we touched on was, was just say yes to opportunities. You know, don't overthink things, just just grab them and, and, and have a go and you'll be surprised, you know, I think you'll surprise yourself that you'll make the best of it. And, um, Number two would probably be, yeah, don't be scared of straying away from finance. Um, some of the best finance guys I know have gone and done sales roles and, and all sorts of things, and you get that real breadth of experience. Um, and then the third one would just be, um, yeah, just just make yourself, just broaden your skill sets and make sure you, you have a big network. Um, so both technical skills and also people skills. Um, one of the things I focused on very heavily at Lion was, consciously knew I was gonna be there for quite a while it so it's a big business, I knew I could jump around. Um, but you don't wanna kind of sit, sit somewhere for nine years and insulate yourself and lose touch. So if you're in a big corporate and there's gonna be a lot of different opportunities and you know you can move around a bit, make sure you spend a lot of time networking. If you're in a business where you're gonna be changing businesses every 18 months, that kinda of happens organically anyway because you're moving around different businesses, meeting people, but if you're in a big corporate, and you know you're going to move around within that corporate, make sure you go over and above to network and build that skill set outside your core business.
0: I think that's a really important point as well. I was saying to you before we started, yeah. you see so many people who go in the big corporate and they eight, nine years as you were, Johnny, but then they don't speak to anyone in the outside world. And then they go, I want to leave now, but they've got no known network or anyone outside to back them up. Um, they don't have the network of people to refer them into roles and then, they find it the back to square one, trying to find a position. It's it's pretty tough after, yeah. after a long stint, but obviously you you've done that really well as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I did. the it would have been probably twelve years ago. I did the CFO incubator that AXR run. I did their pilot scheme twelve years ago, so I was kind of sat here listening to some CFO. And you got to CFO. Yeah, and I, and I got you that were some, incubated. It works. The <laughs> system works. <laughs> system works <particular laughs> Um, but yeah just things like that just like being here today and just meeting people and keeping in touch is really important and then building those networks is yeah really important awesome fantastic awesome if we could all just uh, thank Johnny in the traditional way
0: awesome <clears throat> are you okay to stick around for a few minutes of questions anyone's got anything else and um, the next one guys in a few weeks with Lynn Love Um, so Rick will be taking that one and then we'll finish up with uh, Diva Surrendra Um, but yeah if anyone's got any questions or anything in the meantime so Johnny's going to stick around we'll be here Um, if not we'll, we'll see you next time Thanks for listening again, guys. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. Obviously, this is a bit of a side hustle for Rick and I, one that we do thoroughly enjoy, but our day-to-day job is uh, primarily in the accounting and finance recruitment world. If any of you do find yourself into consider options or potentially just looking at planning your career from where you are now, please feel free to reach out to Rick or myself. In the reverse of that as well, if you are looking for the next best talent for your team, please do feel free to reach out to myself or Rick in due course. Have a good one.